0: that we recognize our need for you. We recognize our need for your son. We, we recognize our, our need for his sacrifice, for his death. But God, we also know that it didn't end there, that his death purchased us, it bought us, it redeemed us, and it's by faith that we are saved, faith in the grace and mercy that you offer us. And so God, today I pray that that would just be our cry, that we would understand our need for you, that we would understand the only hope we have is in Christ and Christ alone. Because Christ is our holiness. And so, God, we pray today that you would speak to us through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How's everybody doing? Well, good. Hey, um, I'm excited because we are wrapping up our Jonah series today. Um, And I I don't know uh, if you remember how we started off Jonah series, but when I was growing up, there was this guy named Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey would speak on the radio and he would have always these, he would always have these intriguing, awesome stories that would just lead up to it. And then he would say, and that's the rest of the story. And a lot of times everybody that, when you you start to talk about the book of Jonah, when you start to talk about Jonah the prophet, the first thing that everybody brings up is what? The whale, the fish. All right? Everybody's like, oh, I know Jonah. That's the fish. Matter of fact, yesterday we spent the afternoon with some uh, friends, and I, I, I clarify, I love, uh, uh, I love my friends. I love them dearly, but you also have to understand that a lot of our friends don't go to church. Now, some of you are like, oh my gosh, what the heck? What are you talking about? But I feel like that's the role that a pastor should play, and I believe that that's the role that Christians should play, is that you need to have friends who are lost you need to have people that you know that need Jesus, because if you don't know people who aren't lost, um, then you're not going to have as strong as influence on them as you could, all right? So we're sitting there last night. We're getting ready to leave the party. They've been uh, drinking for most of the day. Now, I haven't, not, nobody's sloppy drunk or nothing. They're just drinking, all right? We're playing, or we're at their pool. We're swimming and stuff, which we got rained on all day, so we just hung out. Um, but they were drinking, and so as we're getting ready to leave, they're like, hey, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I'm like, serious? You just asked me this question? I'm like, let me share you. So, I mean, I'm standing up, and I like, three-minute version of my sermon in front of, what, probably 20 people? All who don't go to church. And they're all like, oh, that's, yeah, Jonah the whale. Well, I never heard the rest of that. And I'm like, well, that's because it's the rest of the story. All right. And so I think about the whole time when we're talking about this Jonah mentality, I want to wrap up today as we look at Jonah chapter 4. Because Jonah chapter 4 is a lot of, of, of truth there that we have to begin to unwrap, unravel, and really evaluate our own lives on. Because if you remember... In Jonah chapter 1, you you remember how God calls Jonah, and he says, Jonah, hey, I want you to go to the Ninevites, and and you're going to preach against them. Tell them they've got a a short time. I want you to go to the Ninevites, and you're going to preach. And Jonah's like, not only no, he's like, no, no, heck no. It's like, like I'm going the complete opposite direction. And in Jonah chapter 1, we see that Jonah causes his own storm. And we even said this uh, during that week. There are a lot of times that our disobedience is going to cause our own storm in our life. Because when God calls you to do something and you choose to run from God, you are creating a storm because God's going to say, all right, fine, you want to do what you want to do, fine, you can go and run your direction, but you're going to run into a storm because I'm going to bring up a storm that is going to get you where I want you to be. All right, so Jonah's disobedience causes this massive storm as a result of the massive storm. He tells the sailors, hey, you guys need to throw me in the water, and everything will be fine. So the sailors take him in. They throw him in the water, which, you know, being in the Navy or used to be in the Navy, that would kind of be fun. Take the guy who's causing the problems on the ship and throw him overboard. Like, yes, whoa. You know, I could think a lot of guys who would line up and be like, I'll throw him overboard. All right, but they throw him overboard. And in the midst of Jonah being thrown overboard, if you remember, it says that God appointed a whale, or not a whale, a fish. That's just our mentality, all right? He appoints a fish. And this fish, in reality, is Jonah's saving grace, because that fish saved Jonah from drowning. And in the midst of being in the fish, Jonah cries out. He, he gives this prayer and he acknowledges God for who he is. He acknowledges everything that God had done for him. He, he thanks God for his graciousness. He thanks God. He, he cries out to him. He says, from the depths of Sheol, I have cried out and you heard my cry. And so we see Jonah and we see how all of us in some way, shape, or form, in some point in time have probably felt like we were close to death. Maybe it was decisions, maybe there were problems, maybe there were struggles, maybe there was just difficulties you faced and you feel like you're close to the pit of hell. And we just cried out to God for help. And Jonah says, when I cried out, you heard me and you saved me. That's Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 3, we see Jonah gets a second chance and as a result of Jonah getting a second chance, who else gets a second chance? The people of Nineveh. And the beauty of Jonah chapter three is this Jonah goes in and does exactly what God tells him to do. Tell them they got 40 days, and then if they don't straighten up, they're gonna be annihilated. In other words, they're gonna be wiped out. God's judgment's gonna come down, and what happens? It says the people of Nineveh repented. Not only just the people of Nineveh, but the political ruler, the king, who lays down his royal robe. And basically puts himself in the same situation, in the same setting that every other person in that community or that culture, that city would have. And he says he covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. He, he laid his royalty aside to acknowledge the true royal God that, that Jonah was crying out to. And it says that God relented. That God relented from the calamity he was going to cause to happen in Nineveh. So the Ninevites were given a second chance, Jonah's given a second chance, and now we're going to jump into Jonah chapter 4, the rest of the story, and we're going to see what it really means to be a heartless prophet. Now I want to clarify some things because I believe that there are a lot of people who grew up in church, there are a lot of people with good intentions who have become heartless prophets because they realize or they, they, they identify or they say, hey, my preferences... And God's judgment upon people are more important than people. Matter of fact, when we were down in Fort Worth, there was a group of people every Friday night who showed up in downtown Fort Worth. And they would stand outside the movie theater and they would just yell at people. They have their Bibles. And somebody would walk by and they'd go, whore! You're going to hell! And I mean, literally, that's exactly what they would do. And, and, and look, I'm, I'm all for, look, you want to go out and street preach? I got no problems with that. I really don't have any problem. You want to stand on the corner and you want to preach to people? Good. Preach the gospel. But when they're going by and they're like calling people out, whore, hellmonger, blah, and they're just, and they don't even know. They don't even know me. They don't know me. They didn't, didn't ever take a chance to go, hey, do you believe in Jesus? No, no, no. I'm a seminary student. I'm walking around and they're just pointing at people and calling everybody names. That's the heartless prophet. And what we're going to see today, and you can follow along with me, and we're going to start actually in chapter 3, verse 10, and we're going to read all of chapter 4. All right? Listen to what he says. When God saw what they did, remember, keep in mind their invites, when God saw what they did, how they had repented, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So God is a gracious God. God is a loving God. God is a merciful God. Listen to verse 4, or chapter 4. But... Jonah was what? Greatly displeased and became angry. Matter of fact, it's not even that. Jonah's like, okay, fine. I'm going to pray about this. I'm so ticked off, God. I am so mad. I'm going to pray. And it says he prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was quick to flee Tarshish. He didn't run from, from God and go to Tarshish because he didn't want to do the message. He ran because he knew God would be gracious. God, this is why I ran in the first place, because I knew you were going to let him off the hook. I knew you were a God who would do that. That's exactly what he's saying. Because that's what he says. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And listen to Jonah, talk about a temper tantrum. Now, Lord, why don't you just take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. You saved those people, now I want to die. Matter of fact, I've heard people say, well, if they're going to heaven, I don't want to be in heaven. And you're sitting there going, oh, really? Do we have a Jonah attitude much? I mean, like, literally, Jonah's sitting there throwing the biggest temper tantrum in the world. Now, when my son or daughters would would throw a temper tantrum, How do you deal with the temper tantrum? Well, you can ignore it, but ignoring it usually leads to what? A bigger temper tantrum later. Or I can address it. I can call it what it is. And that's exactly what God does, starting in verse 4. Listen, verse 4. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah, get over your big selfish heart. Jonah went out, and he sat down in a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter. And he sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Think about this, all right? Like, I remember going out. We would go and watch fireworks, or you could sit up on the mountainside up in Wyoming. You could look over some areas. I remember going out, and you could look over city. I mean, you could do stuff like that here. I remember driving out not too far off Blue Ridge, and you can look back over Independence. You know what I'm talking about? Blue Ridge cutoff. Go out. Keep going. Keep going kind of the northwest there, and you'll get up to a point where you can look back over and see part of independence. So Jonah goes out on the hillside, and he's like, ha, 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 I'm going to wait, and I'm going to watch. Because surely he's still going to destroy him, even though they repented. Verse 6, then the Lord God provided a vine, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Listen to that. We got a heartless prophet that now has told God twice, I would rather die than live and watch these people in your grace and mercy. A lot of people look at Jonah like, man, Jonah's a great guy. Really? Really? Was he really a great guy, or was he a selfish prophet? Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And of course, Jonah, I do. I'm angry enough I could die. There we go, a third time. I'm so mad. You ever been mad enough that you're just like, you could feel it boiling up inside you? I know, I mean, the old cartoon, head turns red, steam starts to come out your ears. Like, you just get so mad, you're about to... Blow a gasket in verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So today we're going to look at Jonah being a heartless prophet. And I want you to see a number of things that we are going to look at as we jump into this. But the truth is this, that God uses a heartless, compassionless, unloving person to reach the Ninevites, and Jonah throws a fit. And look, I've been in plenty of churches that I know that there are people who are heartless, compassionless, and unloving in the church. Even people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because I've seen it too often. I've seen the conflict. I've seen, or I've had people say, well, pastor, I'm just not sure that this is a church we need to be going to because look at the people that we're attracting. Or I've had people say in the past, pastor, you know, these teenagers you got coming in, I'm not sure that... Those are the types of people. I even had a person come up to us in church. We did a, a combined service down in, in, in Texas. It was an all-black church, all-white church come together. We're like, this is awesome. We had 85 teenagers there, and I don't know the individual because if I did, a, I would have probably ripped his head off at the time. And I don't make that sound harsh, but I was pretty ticked off, all right? Because this dude came to our pastor, and he's like, I'm not sure we want these kinds of people in our church. And when my pastor told me that, I'm like, you tell me who it is because we're going to have a conflict. And he's like, nope, nope, that's why I wasn't even going to tell you in the first place. That's heartless, compassionless, and prejudice, which is really what Jonah was right from the get-go. Because Jonah said, I don't want to go to the Assyrians. The Assyrians don't deserve your grace. And keep in mind, in today's standard, it would be the same picture as a Jewish person from the state or nation of Israel going into Assyria where they hate the Jewish people and telling them about the goodness and greatness of God. Jonah, in reality, to a certain extent, for most people's minds, most people would say, well, he had a right to be prejudiced. No, no, he doesn't. And that's what we're going to dig in. We're going to look at today. I want you to remember this. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God's sacrificial love is for all people, not just the ones you or I think deserve it. God's sacrificial love, Jesus' death on the cross is for all people. When Jesus went to the cross, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he died on the cross for all people. Now, does that mean everybody's going to heaven? No. No, because that's going to be based upon their faith and trust in the fact that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is what bought them or purchased them or made them righteous. It's not based upon good deeds. It's not based upon giving so much money. It's not based upon how many years I go to church. It's not based upon how far I made it up, if I'm a deacon, if I'm a leader, if I'm a pastor. It's not based upon any of that. That's all man's works. It's all based upon the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and the fact that I have put my faith and trust in God's grace and mercy in that. So we have to remember, that's the big thing. God's sacrificial love is for all people. But I want you to remember three things. As we jump in and look at this, I want you to see Jonah's bitter, angry heart. Because I believe it's one of those things that can become very, very evident in the lives of Christians. a matter of fact, it's something that I see in most churches. Most every church I've been to, there is in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a few individuals or whether it's a whole group of people, that there is a bitter, angry heart towards those who are outside. We look at people outside the church as the problem. We look at them and we're like, well, I don't want them to go to my church. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, if, if we truly dealt with drug and alcohol addiction and violence and, and, and the, the, the the hatred that took place, if we begin to see the gospel change people's lives, do you know what the church becomes? Messy. Because you've got people with their thought processes and patterns and desires and wicked hearts who come in, and maybe they come in at first because it's the relationships. Maybe it's because somebody cares for them, but they haven't changed yet. And as a result, there's going to be a messy problem in a lot of people. Or like, I'm not sure I want this mess in my church. And that's a Jonah attitude. So we have to look at Jonah's bitterness, and we have to see his angry heart. See, Jonah became so angry, he complains while he's praying. All right? What's the point of prayer? I mean, like, the point of prayer should be, number one, you acknowledge God for who he is. I'm going to lift God's name up for who he is, what he did, how he created me, for his love, for his grace, for his mercy. All right? Jonah goes right in to using prayer as a complaint session. God, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't want to go here in the first place. I had no desire to go to these people because I knew you were going to be a God who forgives them. So now I just use prayers complaining. And that's what Jonah does. Jonah's bitter, angry heart becomes a complaining session. And listen, I believe that there are some people that you don't like, and you really, in reality, most likely want God to judge them. You're like, they deserve to be judged. Maybe it was somebody who violated your trust. Maybe it was somebody who did something to you or another family mother. And you're like, man, I just want God to hurt them because they hurt me. They deserve to be dealt with without grace and without mercy and without compassion. And that's really where Jonah's at. But that's not. That's not what we should want. That's not what we should see as as Christians. That's not the way we should act because we should want God's grace to be given to others. Why? Because we received God's grace first. The reality is, over and over and over again, when it says that Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry... He became angry because of his own heart. Anybody ever been in that state where you, you could feel like, like your blood start to boil? I don't know how else to describe it. You're just like, I mean, you're, you're just fuming, whatever it is. You, you have gotten so mad, you're just like, and you start to get, I mean, picture Jonah. Jonah goes in thinking, man, these guys are going to get destroyed. God's going to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch it. He's waiting for the show. And trust me, it's better than a Chiefs football game is what he's thinking. He's like, heck yeah, we're, we're on. I'm going to go out here, grab me some popcorn. I'm going to sit out on the hillside and I'm going to watch them get roasted. But because of God's grace and mercy, he relents. And Jonah's ticked off. Listen to what Proverbs said about our anger, because I believe it's something that we can do very easily. An angry person starts fights, and a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. What's Jonah doing when he gets angry? He's sinning. He's allowed the sin nature inside of him to overcome the holiness that God has called us to be. The holy people. So Proverbs 29, an angry person starts fights, a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Proverbs 29, verse 11, fools vent their anger, but the wise quickly hold it back. See, anger is something that I think we all have to understand that Jonah, in the midst of his anger, in the midst of his complaint with God, is showing all the more why he needs God's grace and God's mercy every day. And this is the thing I want you to understand. You may be a believer. You may have put your faith and trust in Christ, but you need Jesus every day. You need more and more of the gospel in your life every day. Why? Because you are a sinner who has been saved by grace. And the Bible says that while you were yet sinner, Christ died for you. In the midst of all that, even though I put my faith and trust in Christ, there is something that goes on inside of me. There is a battle that rages inside of me where my sin nature wants to rise to the top and my spirit tends to go down below. And if I feed the sin nature and starve the spirit, guess what comes out? The sin nature. When I starve the spirit and feed the sin, sin rises up within me. But listen to me, when I starve the sinful nature, when I starve the flesh and I feed the spirit, guess what rises to the top? Because the Bible says very clearly, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the more I take in God's word, the more I understand what's going on, the more I dig in and draw close and try and do everything I can in my power that I can have a good, strong relationship with God, that I spend some time in prayer, that I focus on his attributes and his qualities, that I let the word soak into me, then guess what? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I mean, could you imagine this? Think about this. Could you imagine going to a church where the pastor gets mad every Sunday when people come forward and put their faith and trust in Christ? I've never been to a church that would be like that way, but that's more or less what Jonah's doing. I mean, could you imagine like, like Jonah preaches a message and like the whole congregation stands up and is like, Hey, we're going to come down forward. We're going to give our lives to Christ. And Jonah's like, Are you kidding me? This is not what I really wanted at all. It sounds stupid, doesn't it? But that's literally what you, Jonah, I want you to go to these people. I want you to preach the gospel to them. And guess what? As a result of my work, God's work, as a result of my work in and through you, these people are going to come to an understanding. They're going to put their faith, they're going to repent, they're going to confess, they're going to turn to me, they're going to put their faith in me, and I'm going to save them. I don't want you to do that, God. Why would I want you to do that? I want your judgment. And listen to me. I, I have to say this cautiously, but I've been around enough pastors to know, and I've, I've had a, a number of conflicts with a few of them, where I just, I at point blank asked the question, why do you so badly want God's judgment to be poured out upon people? Why do we desire God's judgment? Let me, let me ask you that question. Is God's judgment something that's going to be great? Something's gonna be phenomenal. Is this something that, as, as a believer, you're gonna stand back and be like, "That was that was the coolest thing ever"? No, it should rip your heart out. Because God's judgment is real. His wrath is gonna be fierce. But what we want to see is people come to understand God's grace and God's mercy. So we can see Jonah's bitter, angriness. But listen to, again, what what the Lord says, all right? Or really, sorry, what Jonah says. He says, I knew you were a gracious God, a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love. Matter of fact, I'm going to say this. Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger? Because the (laughs) reality, yeah, the reality is if God was quick to anger, um, I don't think anybody would be in this building. I'm pretty sure there's not a person in here who has any hope or prayer or chance to live. Because if God said, I'm quick to anger, you're done, I'm done, we're all done, it's over. But Jonah says, look, hey, number one, I understand that you are a gracious God. You are a compassionate God. You are a God who is slow to anger. And then listen to this, a God abounding in love. That, that, that term there is what we call in, in the Hebrew is called chesed. It's chesed. I'm going to butcher that a little bit, but I, I did seven semesters Hebrew. It's chesed love. All right? It's a covenantal love. It's a love that God never walks away from. It's a love that the only ones who walk away from are the ones who are in covenant with God. God doesn't walk away from the covenantal love. God stands there with the covenantal love. He's saying, I'm here. I made a covenant with you. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. But guess who walks away? And so Jonah says, look, I know it's an abounding, it's a covenantal, it's a love that never fails. As a matter of fact, we always use this for one of the wedding verses, but what does 1 Corinthians chapter 13 say? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Listen to this, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, and it is not easily angered. Wait a second, Jonah's angry. So what is Jonah bearing out? He's bearing his sin nature. He's showing his need all the more for Jesus' love and grace and mercy. Listen, it keeps no record of wrongs. We use this all the time in in wedding ceremonies. But listen to me. Love, the love that God talks about here, this agape love, this unconditional love, does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Why? Because love never fails. That's what we have to begin to understand. Why? Because God's sacrificial love is for all people, not just the ones that we think deserve it. Think about this. If you are the one playing the person or the role that says, well, I think these people deserve it and these ones don't, really, in reality, what are you trying to do? You're trying to play God. And when you set yourself up to do that, You've already idolized yourself, and you've minimized God. So Jonah's bitter. Jonah's angry. Jonah's the heartless prophet. And a lot of people are like, well, that's that's just sad. But there are a lot of churches that have a lot of heartless prophets. And what I'm here to tell you is this, that when the church lives out 1 Corinthians 13, That we understand God's grace and God's compassionate, and He's slow to anger and abounding love. I mean, even look at what He says: "You are a God who relents from sending calamity." We have to understand that God is a God who is about people first and foremost. Number two, if God's sacrificial love is for all people, not just the ones we think we deserve, we we looked at Jonah's bitter, angry heart, but I want you to see God's answer to Jonah. Because remember, Jonah cries out, oh God, it's better for me to die. Listen to God's question. And I'll even throw this out there. If God asks you a question, it's probably gonna be pretty important, isn't it? If he comes out and he's like, Brian, where were you when when I formed the foundations of the earth, just like he did to Job? I'm gonna be standing there going, I got nothing on that. Listen to what he asked Jonah again. The Lord replied, do you have any right to be angry? Now look, a lot of us deal with bitterness. We deal with anger. But, but, but think about this. Jonah is literally thrown an adult-sized temper tantrum. I mean, if I was to do it, it would be like literally laying down here and I'll start kicking my legs and pounding my fists on the floor. I just want to die. I just want to die. And you guys would be like, we're not coming back again because you just look like an idiot. That's what Jonah's doing. He's throwing an adult-sized temper tantrum and he's, he's out of control. And on the one hand, he was God's spokesman for morality, but on the other hand, he was full of hatred and contempt and, and God knew it. So God, listen, God used a plant to show Jonah his own heart. So, I got a fake plant that was man-made, not by God, all right? This thing honestly is ugly. But anyways, um, I got a plant just to kind of play this out, all right? This plant shows Jonah his own heart. Because listen to what happens. Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter, no doubt hot. And he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, for those of you who live here like we do, we think it's hot today. Let me describe a typical day in the Middle East when I was on the Nimitz in the Persian Gulf. Temperatures would reach 119 while we were out to sea on the flight deck, 119. Now, other than there, I don't think I've ever been in any place hotter. When we got into port in Jebel Ali, which is right outside the United Arab Emirates, it was just as hot. And then you had the sand blowing everywhere. All right, so you got to think it's hot. It's 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 some place where you're like, okay, I, I need some shade, I I need some shelter, I need to make sure I'm out of the elements so that I'm not going to get fried. We were I was telling the story the other day. We were down in Gulf Shores last year, um, for vacation, and there were these four older women who, uh, I don't know if they ever left the beach. I'll be honest. I, I'm I'm assuming at some point they did, but. They came down two days in a row and they sat right in the water. They had these little short chairs where the water would come up on there and they drank beer um, and they sat there the whole time. Like, I don't even think I remember them ever getting up to go to the bathroom. All right? So, I mean, like, I'm sitting here going, okay, these people never move. They're drinking no shade, they look like leather. I'm like, you know, you could get out of the sun a little bit. It'd probably be like a huge relief to you. But no, no, they just sat there drinking, talking, laughing, doing whatever. And then, and they were there. I remember going out. We got out there one morning at about 9.15. And when we left about four to go back inside, they were still there. And we came back from eating. I looked out of the balcony off our condo and they were still there. I'm like, good grief, what are you guys doing? It's hot. You're outside in the weather. And so Jonah goes out. He builds a shelter. And in the midst of it, he says there he made himself a shelter. He sat in a shade and he waited to see what would happen. Then the Lord God provided. And you have to understand this. God provides a vine just as he provided the whale. It's the exact same word. He provided this vine. Or he appointed is really the original. He appointed this vine just as he appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. He appoints this vine to give Jonah some shade. So this vine grows up, and he made it grow over Jonah to give him some shade to his head to ease his discomfort. So I want you to think about this. Jonah's sitting in the shade. But what's he sitting in the shade doing? He's waiting. He's waiting for the destruction. God, you're going to call down that fire yet? You're going to do what you did to Sodom and Gomorrah to these guys? Because I sure want to see this. This is going to be awesome. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm sitting here in my shelter. He provided this vine. I got the shade. I got the perfect view. And I'm going to see the destruction of Nineveh. It's going to be awesome. And so listen, God appoints this vine, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that vine. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll even say something like this. God provides blessings in our lives, and sometimes the blessing becomes the very thing we respond to and worship. Because here's what happens. God provides the blessing for Jonah, but he wants to get to the deeper issue. Jonah, where's your heart at? Because this vine, this this tree, this plant that grew up, when I take that plant away, what's going to happen? Are you still going to worship me? Or what are you going to do? And listen to me, Christians, I believe wholeheartedly that God gives us blessings. And when you use the blessings that God gives you in a greater way, in a way that honors God, then I believe God blesses more. But when God gives you a blessing and you begin to focus on the blessing and you begin to think about how great this blessing is and you start taking your focus off people, then I believe you miss the bigger picture. Do you think God cares about a plant? What does God care about? He cares about the people. But a lot of times we let the plant become the very thing that we worship. We let the plant become the thing that drives our preference. And listen to me, preferences, while good, can become evil when we let the preference for something overcome God's purpose in our life. I even look at it over and over, and I stress this over and over because I believe we're a church that's not focused on this. But I've been into plenty of churches where preferences drive the direction of the church. Preferences drive whether it's based upon the music style. Whether it's based upon how a preacher preaches or how people dress or whatever. You have it. Go to Africa. Celebrate with Christians there. When they're sitting outside in 108 degrees and they find the biggest shade tree they got. And the only instruments they got are drums. And go and worship with them and tell me their heart's not in it. I've had people tell me, and I've had a number of conversations with people, if we just get back and sing the hymns of the faith, we'd see revival. I don't think so. Because God's not confined by a box of a certain style of music or my preferences in any way, shape, or form. God works in whatever way, shape, or form He wants to. So listen, God's answer to Jonah is very simple Have you any right to be angry? And he shows Jonah. He provides Jonah this plant. But listen, verse 7. At the next day, God provided a worm. Listen, God appoints a worm to go and eat up the plant. Why? Because he wants Jonah to see his true heart. Jonah's more worried about this plant than he is the people. And so when the worm eats the plant, it literally says that when God appointed this worm to eat this plant, which chewed the vine so that it withered. So the plant dies. And what happens with Jonah? It's not just that the plant dies. Now, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Maybe you've been out in a point where you knew it was hot and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could put up with this any longer. Jonah begins to think, I don't know that I can sit here and watch these Ninevites get toasted anymore because I'm about to faint. And he begins to complain again. It'd be better for me to die than to live. (laughs) I remember saying this as a kid because my mom used to get mad at me because I would eat, like, snack a lot. As a matter of fact, I think our son did this not too long ago. I'm so hungry I could die. And my mom would be like, oh, shut up. You're so full of it. You just ate an hour ago. Oh, my stomach hurts, mom. And she's like, get over it. That's Jonah. Jonah's like, oh, my life is so miserable. I don't have shade anymore. This, this worm you sent ate my, ate my vine. Now it's, it's so hot out here. God, I think I could die. And what God is in reality doing is showing Jonah the wickedness of his heart. Because that's where we're going to wrap up. Listen to me. The rest of the story is wrapped up with this. God has a passionate, gracious, slow to anger love for people. See, God's love for people is the most important thing. See, you may have more pity on the plant than the people. You may have more pity on the blessing that God gives you for a point in time than you do for people. You didn't tend the soil. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't make it grow. You didn't feed it. You didn't prune it. You didn't trim it. You didn't provide for it. But by golly, darn it, I'm going to complain about it when it disappears. And that's what Jonah's responding. But listen to God's response or listen to God's answer. And Jonah even says, he's like, God God asks, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah throws a fit again. I do. I'm angry enough to die. But listen, here's God's response, and this is where we're going to wrap up. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, this plant that you did not tend or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Listen to me, church. And I believe this is the wholehearted thing that we have to understand for God's desire for people. God created the people, God planted the people where they're at, God made them fearfully and wonderfully according to what we see in Jeremiah, God loves the people, God provided a way for the people to have a relationship with himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's saying is, I have the right to spare the life of who I want to spare the life of, and that is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ from the beginning all the way throughout the end of time, that God's desire was for people from the beginning, and God's desire, is still four people in the end. Why? Because that is God. God's desire is to have a relationship with every man, woman, and child that He created, that He formed and molded in his own way. And what we have to begin to understand is this that we as people, of the church. We as people of God, children, sons, and daughters of God ought to have the same vision and viewpoint towards people. Not that we look at the plant and go, oh, look at the plant. It's so pretty, so so great. But we look at it, the plant, and we say, God, thank you for the blessing. Let's use the plant to reach more people. Let's use the blessing that God has given us so that we reach more people with the gospel. Why? Because those who die apart from Christ are bound to Sheol, as Jonah was close to experiencing, bound for hell. And we want to be people who stand on the truth of the gospel and say, look, you don't have to experience that. Why? Because God loved you first and foremost so much that he sent his son. Listen, we, we talked about this not too long ago when we were talking about being vigilant for God's second coming, but we have to understand that God gives us provision so that we can see people come to Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, and I use this verse a lot, but 2 Peter chapter 3, listen to this, and starting in verse 8, he says this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Rather, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Listen to me. God's desire, God's patience, God's reason he hasn't come back yet. The reason Christ hasn't come back, just as we sang earlier with the sound of the trumpet, the reason he hasn't come back is because God is patient from the get-go. God has said over and over and over again, I am patient. I want people to come to repentance in me. I want people to put their faith and trust in me. That's the promise. That's the offer. That's what he's offering. And listen, this is the thing that we as a church have to understand, that we don't look at the plant And complain about our lives and complain about how wicked people are and want people to be judged when we should want people to experience God's grace and His compassion, His slowness to anger, His relenting from calamity. That's what we want. That's the gospel. That's the gospel played out that you and I didn't deserve. We didn't earn. There's nothing great about us versus other people. It's just the simple fact that we have put our faith and trust in the truth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived a sinful life, born of a virgin. He lived a life where he was tempted and tried, but did not sin. He went to the cross being obedient to the will of the Father. A matter of fact, there's a point where Jesus says, Lord, if there's any way that you could take this cup from me, But not my will, but yours. So Jesus goes to the cross. He bears the sins of the world. He stayed on the cross when he could have called the angels, the legions of angels to come down and rescue him from at that point. But God had a bigger plan in store. Jesus bore our sins. He carried those sins. He stayed on the cross. And in the midst of staying on the cross, he died. He died the death that you and I deserve. Remember what we said. If, If God was quick to anger... None of us would be here, but God was slow to anger. And so Jesus pays that price. But he didn't stay there. He didn't stay dead. He rose again, defeating sin, defeating death, and offering us life, and life more abundantly according to what the Bible says. And so here's the reality. That God is a gracious God. God will deliver punishment. God will deliver his judgment. But right now, he is being patient. He's being slow. He's compassionate, not wanting any to perish, but people to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And my question just simply is this. Where are you at in the story? Maybe you would say, hey, I'm a Ninevite. I haven't responded, but maybe I feel like God is calling me, God is drawing me, and God is saying, hey, I need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, first and foremost. It's very clear, just what the Ninevites did. It says they repented, and they turned from their ways. They went the opposite direction. They chased after God, and not after the things of this world. So maybe you're that Ninevite. Maybe you're a Jonah. Maybe you're a Jonah who's looked and gone, there ain't no way I'm going to those people. God might be calling you to go to some people at work. Hey, you need to go, and you need to talk to them about who Jesus Christ is. And you may be saying, there is no way. I'm not going to those people. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to go talk to them. Maybe they're in that cubicle, or maybe they're just down the, the, the dock area from where you're at, or maybe, maybe it's just something. But God's calling you to go to them, and you're like, no, no, I'm going to go over here. Why? Well, because God, I know you're gracious, but I, I really don't like that guy. I don't think he deserves your grace and mercy. Well, do you know what she talks about all the time? Listen, that's what God may be calling you to do. And my question is, are you a heartless prophet like Jonah? Are you going to complain about every situation and, and, and struggle that you walk into where God may be calling you to do something? Are you going to want the judgment of God brought down on the people or do you want the grace and mercy to be experienced by the people? I believe that that's the two situations we're in. And that, I believe, is also the rest of the story. In the midst of everything that went on, God shows his grace, his love, and his compassion and mercy even when we think those people don't deserve it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your graciousness, for your being slow to anger, for your compassion. We thank you for the fact that you are a God who is abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. I thank you for... uh, I thank you for just being able to walk through the book of Jonah, that as we walked through Jonah, we can see how you speak to our lives, even in the midst of knowing that Jonah was a prophet some 2,500 years ago. God, that you can use this story, this true story about an individual who had a hard heart, who was obedient to your calling, but even in the midst of being obedient to your calling, still maintained a desire to see people punished, and he didn't have a desire for people but he had a desire for your blessings. And so, God, I pray that we would be people who have, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus first and foremost, that, God, we would be people who are passionate about people. That we don't desire judgment, but that we desire grace and mercy. Because we want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So, Father, today I pray that maybe there's a heart here that you're drawn, a heart that says oh, I've never put my faith in trust. I've never repented and turned to God. I've never walked in, in faith and put my faith in Jesus, that he paid the price that I couldn't pay. So, Father, I pray today that you would work in only the way that you can work, that your spirit would move among us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand and we're going to close with this song. But I believe wholeheartedly that sometimes there are things, there are struggles, there are situations that all of us have to deal with. And maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. And you say, hey, I want to I put my faith and trust in Christ today. First time. I've never done it. Never done. We want you to make that public. All right? There's nothing magical about coming down here. I always tell you this. There is nothing magical about here. You can accept Jesus wherever you're at. But we always want to make it public. So what we're asking you to do is if you've made it public today that you would come down here and just share it with me. I'll pray with you. We're going to make it known to everybody else. If you can't do it here, I want to encourage you to come to me afterwards. Man, I want to do this. I want to nail this down. But maybe, maybe you're a person who's grown up in the church. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you struggle with some difficulties. Maybe you got the heart of Jonah. And maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Then I'm going to be up here to pray as we close with this song. Or maybe you're looking for a new church. You say, I want to I join a church. Listen, one of the things we do at our church here is you have to go through a class so you know that what you're getting into. All right? You know what we expect of you. You know what you can expect of us. All right? But you want to say, hey, we want to come and we want to be a part of this church. We want to find out more about this church. We want to invite you to do that as well. So let's close with a song, and then you'll be dismissed.